chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We have we've been going through the parables of Christ and this morning's parable uh, is one of his more well-known parables. I think last week's and this week are probably the best two uh, uh, most well-known uh, of his parables. Um, uh, but before we get into uh, the parable this morning, I wanted, there's some things I want to talk about. One is what is a parable? Well, a parable, uh, it takes two Greek words to, to get the word uh, parable, uh, the English word parable. Um, so it's a compound word. Uh, para uh, means uh, to come alongside or alongside. Uh, and then balo is the other Greek word, and it means to cast or to throw. So what it, the word parable literally means is to place alongside. Okay, so what is a parable? A parable is, is a story that comes alongside real-life events. So the, Jesus uses parables to describe real-life events. That's what a parable is. And that's why parables, when Jesus uses them, uh, people um, are, 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 are almost taken back by the, the impact of a, of a story. Last week's parable of the, um, uh, the wise and the foolish builder, the man who built his house on a rock and the man who built his house on the sand. We, we look at that parable and we can, we can relate our lives to those parables because it makes perfect sense for a believer who does not build their life on the rock, Jesus Christ, and they build it on the sand with the things of this world, they're never going to make it. And so we, 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 we hear these parables and, and we can immediately relate them to real life issues. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. This morning's parable, <clears throat> we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three, three of the four Gospels, um, we're, obviously, we're going to be looking at the version in 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 Math, uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter four, um, but it's it is the parable of the sower, is the title of the message this morning, the parable of the sower, and um, and some of you may be sitting there thinking, wow, I I already know this one, I'm just going to shut off and go home. Uh, please don't do that. Um, th- that's one of the mistakes, honestly, that uh, that I make when I'm reading the Bible. Uh, when I get to a familiar passage, I tend to just blow through it and not really read it. Um, so please, please don't do that this morning. Uh, let's, uh, because I believe God has some really, really interesting uh, 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 thoughts for us this morning as we look at Mark chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 1. And he, that's being Jesus, uh, be, uh, began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat, uh, sat in the sea. And the multitude was by the, uh, by the sea on, on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them, in his doctrine, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. 
And it came to pass, as he sowed, some seed fell, <clears throat> excuse me, some fell uh, by the wayside, and uh, the fowls of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and, be, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground, and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, then brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath an ear, <clears throat> let him hear. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you again for this time together. Uh, around your word, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would give me the words to say that we might know you better because of our time together this morning. We are truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, we do not know exactly where Jesus was. Okay, when he, when he got in the boat, pushed off, and started preaching, we don't know for sure. But uh, there is a cove not too far from Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee that is called the Cove of the Sower. Okay, I did some research and, and uh, th this is the picture that I found. <clears throat> this little cove here, as you can see, <clears throat> right here, this cove, you could see where if, if this is the place and, and tradition says that this is the place, Jesus could very easily float out here and speak to a lot of people. Now, why is this so important? Well, it, it, things like this are interesting to me because with, without visuals like this, you just kind of picture, uh, you know, like Lake Lahontan. You know, you just kind of float out there. And, 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 you know, we have a hard time envisioning the ability to, to speak to a lot of people on a, on, a flat, on a flat shoreline. But it makes, to me, it makes perfect sense that if this is the place, then with the slope of the hills, um, uh, theologians have gone out there and they've, they've actually sent uh, 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 sound equipment out in the water and the, the volume uh, skipping across the water, uh, somebody could just normally talk and everybody could hear. It's pretty amazing. Uh, when you when you stop and think about it, <clears throat> the other thing I'd like to talk about is Jesus's audience. So chances are really good this is where he did he did the 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 parable, <clears throat> but who was his audience? See, it's important we understand who Jesus is talking to because that is the that, those are the people who are going to understand his parable. Okay, who were they? They were, for the, for the most part, they were either shepherds, farmers, or fishermen, for the most part. Now, every single one of those type people 
will, would have understood <clears throat> exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now we today, now, now th- those of you that know me know, <clears throat> I am not a farmer, okay? I, I grew up in the concrete jungles of Los Angeles. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the, you know, I, I know how to make concrete grow. Um, <clears throat> literally, I can, I can do that. Um, but No, I'm teasing. Uh, but, but seriously, I, I know literally nothing about farming. My wife and I have tried to grow tomatoes a few times, and it's a, just a disaster. So for me, this parable does not just immediately make sense to me. Because we live in a society today that the majority of us do not farm. Now, we may grow tomatoes or plant a few plants or do some things, but we're not farmers for the most part. What do we do? We go to Rayleigh's, Walmart, Smith's, wherever, and we buy our vegetables. Is that not correct? Okay, so so, I want to help this morning because I have had to do a lot of reading, a lot of studying to wrap my head around this parable because honestly, it, it does not, the, 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 the parable last week of the builder makes perfect sense to me because I was a builder and I understand the importance of a strong foundation. That parable makes perfect sense to me. This one I struggle with because I am not a farmer. So I had to do some research, and so I'm, this morning's message is just sharing with you what God gave me. It, it's, it, that's all it is. So I, I hope it will be a help and a blessing to you because the culture, the people that Jesus was talking to at the cove of the, of the, of the sower, everyone there immediately knew what he was talking about. So let's talk about it. Point number one this morning, the types of soil. Jesus identifies four types of soil. The first one, he says, uh, 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 on the wayside or the pathway, uh, which represents hard ground. Okay, so what happens, again, okay, I'm, not, I'm not so stupid I don't understand some of it. What would happen if you were to take seed and you were to throw it onto a hard path what would happen to that seed okay it won't grow okay i know enough to know that okay it's just gonna sit there okay so basically what does it become bird food okay it just becomes bird food the second type of ground he identifies is stony ground <clears throat> and for the, more, for the most part, living in northern Nevada, we know what rocks are, do we not? <clears throat> yeah, we grow rocks, okay? You know, <clears throat> it's an amazing thing. I, I can dig a hole <laughs> and plant a plant, and then I, I've done this. I've dug a hole, plant a plant for my wife, and it die, and two years later, whatever, dig it up, and there's another rock. I'm like, how did that happen? It, it, I don't get it. But anyway, uh, stony ground. Stony ground, <clears throat> what happens, especially around here, and this would be, our area would be, I, I'm assuming, very typical to the mid, Middle East, uh, Palestine in particular, 
what happens around here a lot? The wind blows, right? <clears throat> dust storms. So, so what happens with all the dust and the rocks? Well, well, the dust settles in the rocks, right? So this is the picture. You have you have rocky soil with a lot of a lot of fluffy dust that settles in in the in the in between the rocks. So what happens with the seed that lands in there? It it shoots up, but because it, there's no substance there, when the sun comes up, it withers away. There's no depth to the soil. The third type of soil he identifies is what he calls thorny ground, uh, or or weed infested, if you would. <clears throat> That's another thing we grow really good here. You, you know. Um, my thought is, you know, if you just mowed your weeds, everybody would think you had grass, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what, hap- <clears throat> what happens with, with the, the, the thorny ground or the, the weed-infested ground? The, the seeds are sown and they, they sprout up, but generally speaking, which is stronger a, a, a shoot of wheat or a weed? The weed is. So what happens? It chokes out the, the good thing. Uh, if you've ever been to the southeast uh, portions of the United States, uh, there's something there called kudzu. Kudzu is an amazing thing. It, it just it grows over everything. It, and it just it totally encapsulates and takes over. <clears throat> and that is the picture here. And then the fourth type of ground is the good ground. Now, I, again, I'm not a farmer, but I know what good ground is. That's where you throw the seed and it grows. Okay? Makes perfect sense to me. <clears throat> it, it receives the seed, the seed germinates, and it grows. Again, makes perfect sense. I have a question for you. One of the questions that I have struggled with with this parable, this, this, this is the thought. As I have, for years, I've read this parable, and I've thought, why in the world was the farmer not more careful where he threw the seed? Have you ever thought that? Now, it, I, I don't know. I, again, I'm not a farmer. <clears throat> but if I was going to be casting seed, I wouldn't be casting it on the path or in the rocks. I'd be casting it on the good ground. Because why? Seed costs money, Right? <clears throat> seed costs money. You got to be careful where you, you know where you spend your money. You're going to be careful <clears throat> how you're going to cast your seed. Have you, has anybody else ever thought that? I'm the only one, really. Me and Sean. Wow, wow, we're weird, Sean. <clears throat> so, as I studied, I figured out why Jesus used this parable. Because how do we, 21st century Americans, think of farming? Tractors, hundreds of acres of, of corn. Have you, ever, have you ever driven through Illinois 
Ohio, even parts of Colorado, uh, when they're growing corn. I mean, you can go, you can get dizzy, just mile after mile after mile of corn, and it is perfectly straight. How do they do that? It's crazy. But that's how that's how we picture farming, right? Just flat land and just hundreds and hundreds of acres of 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 just crops. Drive through the San Joaquin Valley sometime, and it's it's amazing, just miles and miles. I did the mistake. I, I when I first got out of the Navy, I did actually live back in California for a little while, and I drove truck. And and the people I drove truck for sent me from L.A. to Sacramento during onion harvesting. I cried all the way to Sacramento. I mean, it was was horrible. They were harvesting those onions, and I I mean, I'm just bawling like a baby. It was horrible. But see, that's how we picture farming. At least that's how I picture farming. But how did they farm? Got another picture for you. This is a picture of what they call terrace farming. Maybe not the best picture, but it was the best picture I could find. But as you look at this picture, you can see all four types of soil very easily. And you can see how a farmer, when he is spreading his... his, and, and it has been explained to me this way, that a farmer would have a bucket or a thing over, like a bag over his shoulder, and he would take and he reached his hand and he would just cast it like this. And he would just walk through his fields and he would just cast it like this, over and over and over. And, and when you have this type of growing situation, you can see how you wouldn't be able to keep the seed off of all four types of of soil, how natural it would be, especially if the wind was blowing, for the for the seed to drift into the rocky areas and the and the pathways, because there would be many pathways through this type of field. As Jesus tells the parable of the sower. Again, his audience would have been very familiar with this type of farming. Most of Palestine, now not all of Palestine, but most of Palestine um, uh, would have been farmed like this. So as the, as the people were listening, they were, they were envisioning and they were knowing exactly what he was talking about. They had, for lack of better terms, they had probably experienced exactly what he said. They had seen seed land on the pathways and the birds swoop down and, and take it away. Where it had landed between rocks and, and it had sprung up and just fell away. They had seen it all. So it it would have made perfect sense. Point number two. Let's talk about something else here. The emphasis of his teaching. 
What is the emphasis of Jesus' teaching? I believe there's two things that Jesus is emphasizing in this passage. The first one we see in verse 14. In verse 14, it says, The sower... Uh, well, no, let's back up and let's read chapter uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 to, 10 to 14. <clears throat> and when he was alone, they that were with him, the twelve, asked him the parable. Now, now let, let's stop here because th- this is really an interesting point that I had not really thought about until I was studying for this message. <clears throat> Jesus tells the parable to the multitude. But Jesus is about to give the answer to the parable. But who's he talking to? The twelve. He's not talking to the multitude. He's only talking to the twelve. I just found that interesting because I, I for, for whatever reason, as I had read it before, I just assumed he gave the answer to everybody. But he only gave it to his disciples. Verse 11, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their, uh, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will I know all parables? In verse 14, I believe this is one of the emphasis that Jesus is trying to get across here. The sower soweth the word. So what is Jesus is telling them in verse 14 in this parable of the sower, when the, the farmer is sowing his seed, what is the sower in, in, in okay, you have the parable, what is the, what is the real life experience that, it, that the, par, the parable is paralleling? It is the word of God. The person who goes forth and and sows the Word of God. It is the Word of God. The seed represents the Word of God. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth was a interesting church um, for it, they had their problems, okay? I don't, I don't want I don't want to say much more than that. Um, but they, the, the church of Corinth had its problems. And one of the problems that the church of Corinth had is they had become divided over personality types. And, and basically what they had done is they had said, you know what, um, uh, I think that this pastor or this preacher is better than this preacher, so I'm going to follow this guy. And other people in the church rallied around and said, no, 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 I'd rather follow this guy. And then instead of, well, let, let, me, let me read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, it says, says this, uh, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe, 
even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Paul has watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth is one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are all, or excuse me, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So, what, what was happening in the church of Corinth? They, they, this guy named Apollos and, there was a, and Paul, and people in the church were following the man. And Paul says, no, stop, time out, back the bus up. You don't follow the man. You follow the Word. It's the Word of God that changes lives. Don't follow me. Don't follow Apollos because he says we're nothing. He says he that planteth and he that watereth are nothing. We're just preachers are just sinners saved by grace just like everybody else. And we don't follow men. We follow the word. And Jesus here is giving this illustration of the sower. And he says the seed is is the word. It is the word of God that needs to be sown, not the opinions of men. Hebrews chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner in the thoughts uh, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word, the word that uh, the writer of Hebrews uses here says the word, the word of God is quick and powerful. The word quick literally means to be alive. The word of God is alive. That's why when you can read the word of God one day and sit down the next day and read the exact same passage, God can speak to your heart in a different way because the book is alive. The word is is alive. Jesus, my friend, is the living Word. John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the same was, uh, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him is life. And the life was the light of men. And John, in a couple verses later, in verse 14, answers the question, who's the Word? In, in verse John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Savior is alive. And because he's alive, this book is alive. And this book can change our lives. And many of us can give testimony of what this book does in our lives. And praise God for that. 
as I was going through this, I had an interesting thought. And I, I wrote it down, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you so I don't mess up my own thought, okay? <clears throat> a seed is dead. And you take that seed and you plant it in the ground and it brings forth life. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, Jesus died for you and me. And they placed him in the ground. And three, year, three days later, he rose and brought forth life. And as I thought about that, I thought, praise God. Praise God. He, he is alive. And not only is he alive, but he brings life to us because we believe. Praise God for that. The second thing that Jesus was emphasizing, I believe, we see in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, And these are they, by the way, where the word was, is sown, but they have heard. Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown where? in their hearts. I believe the second thing that Jesus was trying to emphasize here was the hearts of men. The first is the word. The second is the hearts of men. It is the word of God because it's alive is the only thing that can penetrate the hard hearts of men. Now, can philosophy and psychology and all of those things, can it, can it help people? Yeah, it can help, but it cannot change the heart. It is the Word of God that changes hearts. And Jesus, I believe, was emphasizing the Word of God in the hearts of men. Grace Baptist Church is almost 14 years old. And in that 14 years, I have probably said a thousand times, God is after one thing in your life. What is that? Your heart. See, God wants your heart. Who else wants your heart? Satan does. God wants your heart. The emphasis is the Word of God in your heart. Point number three. Let's talk about the, th the four types of hearts. Because there are four types of soil that directly relate to four types of hearts. Again, we're seeing the parallel of the, of the parable, the parallel to real life situations there are four types of heart hearts that jesus identifies because there are four types of ground the first heart that 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 we see here in verse 15 that we just read a, a moment ago is the hard heart it is the heart that is by the uh, it, it is illustrated with the pathway it is the one where 
the, when the seed lands there, that the birds sweep down and take it away and it becomes nothing but bird food. But Jesus likens the birds to who? To Satan snatching away the Word of God. And as I, as, I, as I read this and I started thinking about it, the heart is such a precious, precious thing. Proverbs says in uh, chapter 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The, the word keep here is an interesting charge by Solomon as he was writing the book of Proverbs. The word, the word keep here literally means to set a watch. And it's a military term, to set a military watch so that nothing can happen to your heart because it is the key to your life. Now, I don't know about you, but, but many of us in this room have been in the, been in the military, but when a, when a commanding officer tells you to set a watch on a particular item or a Ford or whatever, what is the implication of that? It is a 24-7 job, is it not? It never ends until he says stop. Well, this, he doesn't say keep your heart, you know, eight hours out of the day. He doesn't say that. We are to protect our hearts 24-7, never letting down our guard. <clears throat> Those who, who are reckless with their hearts, who open their hearts to just any old philosophy, just any old thing, are opening ourselves up to a hard heart. There's an important truth here. There is always hope for a hard, the hardest of hearts. There's always hope. You know, that is one of the things I love about the Word of God. There's always hope. Hosea chapter 10, and there were other verses. I just picked Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, Break up your fallow ground or your hard ground. Break it up. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. It is a choice that you have to make. If you have a hard heart this morning, it is a choice that you have to make to break up your hard ground. If you will help if you will break it up, God will send the rain. He says so. Till He come and rain righteousness. The second type of heart we see in verses 16 and 17. And He said, uh, And these are, are they likewise which are uh, sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when afflictions uh, or persecutions arise for the world's sake, immediately they are offended. There's a key 
word here in verse 17 that answers the question spiritually, what is a shallow heart? And I believe it is in uh, in the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, the sixth word in, in verse 17. And have found and have no root in what? Themselves. A person that is that has received the word, but their their heart is 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 a stony heart or a shallow heart. Is someone who is always dependent on themselves. So that when persecutions and hard times come, we talked about this last week with the the foundation. When the storms of life come, what happens to the house who has built the the, the guy who has built his house on the sand? The destruction comes and it's great destruction. Because why? They were dependent on themselves. The shallow or the stony heart. Again, the picture that we saw of the terrorist farming type, or I guess you'd call it, I don't know what they call it, the type of farming they do there, the terrorist farming was very typical in Palestine and they would have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because in the stones, there's no depth of soil. And a person who trusts in themselves, there's no depth in their character. I believe this is where Hypocrisy is exposed. The third type of heart that is revealed here in Jesus' teaching here is the crowded heart, if you would. Verses 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns, which is... Uh, which as hear the word and the cares of the this world are deceitful uh, are, are the deceitfulness of riches and the lust and the other things uh, entered entering in choke out the word and it become becometh unfruitful so what is this what is this crowded heart what is this a picture of this is a picture of a person who receives the word but does not always repent. Does not always turn away from the things of this world. They want to they live their, their lives with one foot in the world and one foot in church. And this is the person that the cares of this life choke out the spiritual things. People become more concerned with the things of this world than the things of God. This is the picture that Jesus is giving his disciples. Well, this is the picture that Jesus gave to the group. The worries and the cares of this world take over. I can't tell you how many times in 14 years I've heard people will call me and say, Hey, Pastor, I've... You know, I, I'll, I'll call them and say, hey, I've been missing you. You know, you've been out of church for a while. Is everything okay? Well, I just had a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I just, you know, this thing and that thing. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, what are they doing? They're revealing their hearts. 
And I, and, I, and I just love them and I say, you know what? Hey, you know, we'd love to have you back. But what are they doing? They're, they're, they're revealing their heart, that, they, that, their, heart, that their, their heart is shallow. That it's crowded out with the things of this world. When the circumstances of life dictate instead of you dictating to the circumstances of life. Paul says when we, when we allow the circumstances of this life to dictate our lives, then we are like a, for lack of a better term, we're like a ping pong ball. Just bouncing from one circumstance to the next and to the next and to the next. But when we give all our circumstances to God and we walk with Him, life is a lot easier. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that findeth the crowded heart. I would say, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm just guessing here, but I would dare say that most believers today struggle with their crowded heart. Most. crowded heart is constantly being pulled in different directions. And when it does sprout, the things of this world choke it out. And then the fourth type of heart we see in verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. This picture pictures the heart of a true believer, someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ and turned their lives over to Him, and, and He handles the circumstances of life. That is the only way that we can be, come, become fruitful in our, law, in, our, in our walks with the Lord. When the Word of God takes over in our lives and we literally give our lives to Him. Because what is the one thing God is after in your life? Your heart. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have, I have learned over the last many years to absolutely love this verse. I love this verse because it is a constant reminder of what God has done in my life. The first three hearts that we've talked about produced no fruit. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart produces no fruit. It's only when we give our lives 
to Christ. And allow the Word of God to change our hearts that we can be fruit-producing Christians, if you would. I came across a quote. I don't know. It's an unknown source. I don't know who said it. But he said this, a man's reception of God's Word is determined by the condition of his heart. And I believe that is that goes to the heartbeat of what Jesus was trying to communicate. The challenge really is pretty simple this morning. What condition is your heart in? What is the one thing, yeah, you know, uh, uh, many of you uh, uh, may, I, I, I don't know, most of us, I think, are relatively healthy people, but I'm sure there's someone in here who has uh, 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 heart issues, you know, murmurs and, and different things and so on and so forth. But to just look at someone, would you necessarily know that? I mean, for the most part, you would think, just looking at me, my heart is perfectly normal. And as far as I know, it is. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying, but, but the, the, what, what is the reality of life? I could drop over dead right now with a heart attack, could I not? Absolutely. But why? Because we, don't know, we very seldom do we know what's going on in someone else's heart unless you're a doctor or, or something like that. Spiritually speaking, who knows the condition of your heart? You and God. See, I can't. I can look at you, and I and I, I can see the outside, and I can look at you and think, "Hey, wow, this this is this person. They, they well, they they walk with God." But I don't know the heart. What does your heart look like this morning? See, only you can answer that question. I can't do it. And then point number four, very, very quickly, and I'll be done. I just, just some, it was the last, a last little thought I had in, in closing here. Uh, earlier in the parable, I said that this, this parable uh, is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as I was studying, I came across an interesting thing. And I, I want to I end with this. Point number four, hearing the word. Hearing the word. And again, this is just quick. It's just something I came across I thought was interesting. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 9, Jesus closes the parable with this statement. And Jesus said, Who hath ears, let him hear. Okay? So what was Jesus saying? Be careful to listen. In Mark, we read in, in uh, chapter 4, in verse 24, you can look at it. It says, And he said unto them, Take ye heed what you hear. So in Matthew, he says, Be careful to listen. In Mark, he says, Be careful what you listen to. And then in Luke, chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus, in the closing of the parable, says this, Take heed how you listen. I just found that to be very interesting. 
Because we can listen. My wife accuses me often of not listening to her. How many of you? No, I don't want. Um, uh, and, and the reality is this, and she is 100% right, okay? I'm not picking on my wife. I'm just telling you. I hear things, but I don't always listen. Okay? <laughs> now, I, I will say this. In, in my own defense, I went to an audiologist last week, and they're giving me hearing aids, okay? Because I have hearing loss in a certain pitch. And, and you know whose voice is in that pitch? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I'm, I am dead serious. The, the audiologist told me, she said, she's like, you know, the problem is your wife probably falls in this pitch. And I'm like, y- y- you betcha she does. <laughs> so... <laughs> and she said that he, she said, and the reason why is because most most women talk in in this in this pitch. So I I, I actually have trouble hearing most women speak. Um, so so anyway, so hopefully that's going to help. But it's one thing to hear, and it's another thing to listen, right? And what is Jesus telling us? Don't hear it, listen. Not only listen. Not only listen, but listen to what you hear and how you hear. I just found that to be incredibly interesting. Let me close with this verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we conclude our service this morning, I ask that you would speak to hearts. And and the reality is this, we can make jokes of listening and hearing and all that stuff, but the, 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 the real question is this, what does my heart look like? What condition is my heart in? And Jesus very clearly describes four very specific kinds of hearts. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and the good heart. Everyone in this room represents one of those four hearts. And Lord, help us this morning to identify our hearts. And Lord, help us. If our hearts are hard, help us to break up that fallow ground. If we need to put away some busyness out of our lives or our lives, our hearts are not crowded so that we have room for the Word of God, Lord, help us to have wisdom. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for the Word of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you very, very quickly,